Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, you tell the story, blah, 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 Star Tropics, blah, 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 Zoda's Revenge, blah, blah. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going really good. I am really excited to hit, hit this point in Retro Month because this is a game I'm really excited to talk about. Oh, this is this is a game you're really excited to talk about? This yeah, because I had never really experienced it before. Um, well, We will get into our, our various levels of experience with it before... Uh, once we start talking about it, of course, today we are talking about Zoda's Revenge, uh, Star Tropics 2. Um, but, but before we get into that, just a little lay of the land, right? For what's re- what's left of Retro Month. Not much. No, the last weird sequel we're going to be talking about is Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest next week. Yes, and you can find it on both the 3DS and the Wii U Virtual Console, so that one you should be able to play along with, even though we know full well no one was able to play along with us <laughs> uh, on, on Zoda's Revenge. Um, and if you have been hmm. playing along or uh, played some of the games that we talked about the past couple of weeks, definitely shoot us an email. We'd love to hear what you think. Right, and you can send that email to Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. Uh, another thing you can do with that email address, you can try to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces. All you have to do is send me your mailing address uh, to Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com, gmail.com, and I send you uh, my copy of this game on Switch, and you can play it for as long as you like, and then send it back. No risk, other than contaminating your house with a copy of Sonic Forces. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's a, it's a real no risk, no rewards <laughs> situation. That's right. Net neutral. <laughs> That's right. Um, Mark, I believe we have a debug. Yes, I'm sad to announce that we have a debug. A debug on my account, but I'm glad to be able to clear this up. I tried to debug it you in the moment. did. <laughs> you were a hero, like, jumping in front of this bullet. Mm-hmm. But I pushed you out of the way and took it anyways. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, at the end of last week's episode, when we were talking about Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, I said that, hey, there's a DX version of this game. Um, similar to Link's Awakening DX that is in color and can be played on your Game Boy Color. And I said, isn't that just a ROM hack? And I was like, ha, 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 ha. No, you idiot. And then and then Mark took me outside to where there was a puddle, like a muddy puddle, and he stuck my face in it. But then as I was doing that, I was I pulled... I, with one hand, I was holding Patrick down. Right. With the other hand, I pulled my phone out of my back Playing pocket. The piano. <laughs> And yes, I played a little piano <laughs> and I put the piano aside. I picked up my phone that was sitting on top of the piano. Right. And I looked up Super Mario Land 2 DX and to my horror mm. found out that it was in fact just a fan ROM. Which, not a real thing that doesn't that, like it exists, but right, it's not, not a, it's not a sanctioned thing. Yeah. Um which means that Nintendo has not ever revisited this thing. That's right. Which, you know, come on. It's part it's part of your legacy. It's and better than Super Mario Land. It's be- Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> for, for whatever reason, there are so many names of games, and I feel very comfortable about like which game has which name. Uh, I still get turned around in my head. 
the worlds, the lands, the galaxies, the everything. It all just turns me around a little bit. Yeah, it feels like there's like five or six titles that they're all just shuffling around. Yeah, and someday we're just going to be playing Land World Galaxy New. <laughs> Mario? Mar- Mario! All right, Mark, let's get into the main topic of the week. Let's talk about Zoda's Revenge, Star Topics 2. Released in 1994. For the NES. For the NES. So the Super Nintendo had been out for three years at that point. That's right. This is the second to last first party game uh, to be released for the hardware. The last one being Wario's Woods. Um, And uh, yeah, what a weird old game that we're playing. Yeah, it's like double weird because Star Tropics on his own is a weird franchise of two games. Yes. And this one is fairly different from the original Star Tropics on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, uh, it fits our pattern of weird sequel kind of the least, um, that all the rest of them are, here's an established first game, and the second one is a radical departure. I would say that this is, um, like, some of the presentation is upped, and, like, Mike's mobility, your character's mobility is increased. Um, But by and large, it's the same kind of game. Um, you know, if you compare Zelda to Zelda 2, you could argue they're not even the same kind of game. Um, but these, you know, Star Tropics and Star Tropics 2 feel at least like the sequeling makes sense to me. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like we should start at the beginning and just be like, what's a Star Tropics? What's a Star Tropics? So Star Tropics uh, features Mike Jones. You play as Mike Jones, a, uh, a baseball playing kid from Seattle, from Seattle um nintendo of america based in seattle i don't think it's any <laughs> coincidence um and he's got uh, uh an uncle dr stephen jones who is a tropical uh archaeologist. archaeologist um so it's an archaeologist named dr jones i'm not saying nintendo's stealing directly from indiana jones but nintendo's stealing directly from indiana jones in this regard in the first game you're on a tropical island Looking for your uncle. That's right. You go. He, your uncle has invited you to go out there and visit him. You somehow make it to an island that he's been living with, like the natives for a while, um, and then he sends you off on this wild goose chase that eventually leads you, you know, to le- leads you to all these different islands, and uh, then eventually to some aliens. Um, and the aliens, it turns out, are in some intergalactic war with this creature called Zoda. Um, and yes, you spend 90% of the game on tropical islands in like caves and stuff. And then the last, the last chapter of the game, it's like, eh, now you're on a spaceship. <laughs> it did like, it totally takes a, a, a real hard turn towards the end. Yeah. So it's, it's really weird that to me that Star Tropics 2 features Zoda up front in the title. Right. Whereas Zoda is, I mean, yes, he's before Star Tropics 2. It is Zoda's Revenge subtitle star tropics 2 and zoda is like not the most memorable part of the first star tropics no he's arguably not the most memorable part of the second star tropics right yeah for sure so okay um have we covered the original star tropics enough maybe not uh the original star tropics like kind of alternates between two basic gameplay styles um and they are both like an overhead perspective which is a little strange yeah i mean it's an iteration on the original Zelda, the original Legend of Zelda. Kind of, yeah. I, I mean, I would say, so th- there are, 
the dungeons feel like the original Legend of Zelda. Except um, you can jump. Except you can jump. Uh, and so there's, you know, nightmarish platforming in some of these things. But you're locked to a grid when you're jumping in the first game. In the original Star Tropics, yeah. Um, and, uh, but there's also, like, an overworld. And the overworld feels more like the original Final Fantasy. Where, like, this, in, in both versions of the game, you're locked to a grid. Um, and you're sort of exploring the area that will have these, like, little bits of dungeon. Um, or there are uh, villages where you're talking to people and, like, finding weapons and heart containers and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty that's much... It. That's it, right? <laughs> that's pretty much Star Tropics. <laughs> that's pretty much Star Tropics. Um, the first game is uh, obtuse and difficult, right? Yeah, I mean, it famously has a uh, like a puzzle that can only be solved by in the instruction manual there's like a piece of paper that was supposed to be a letter from dr jones Mm -hmm. and you dipped it in water to reveal a code that would let you continue on now presumably this was to stop piracy right maybe i mean that makes total sense i think also around this time nintendo was in a war with blockbuster over game rentals Mm. and so i can imagine that if star tropics was a game that you rented and you made it that far Without the internet, I don't know exactly how you would proceed. Thing is, it's not that far at all. It's the end of the first chapter that they that they ask you for that uh, for the three digit password, and it's like it. There's like a canonical reason you're like activating the the submarine or whatever. Um, but yeah, it is. It's kind of a crappy thing. It's exactly like uh, in Metal Gear Solid. Um, there's a, a part of the game where it refers you to a like a frequency that's listed on the back of the box. Like that's what it says in the back on the back of the box. And you have to go to your CD ROM that had that had the start or the Metal Gear Solid discs in it and actually see it so you could like dial in to get Merrill's codec. But like that's such a weird thing. Yeah, you definitely would not do something like that nowadays. No. Well, because everyone would just look it up. Right, right. Zoda's Zoda's Revenge, Star Tropics Two, is like Star Tropics, but more of it in every, every way possible, yeah, in every conceivable way. I guess this is one thing that we didn't mention about the original Star Tropics is that it has a sense of humor. Uh, sometimes it's like a pretty cheesy, like dad caliber sense of humor. Well, Star Tropics was developed in Japan with a Western audience in mind. Like, I don't think these. Either of the, the Star Tropics games ever were released in Japan. That would make sense to me. At yeah. all. And so it's very like, especially the second game, there's a little bit of like a Bill and Ted-esque nine, you know, like late 80s, early 90s sense of like radical and like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little like early Ninja Turtles uh, kind of uh, tubular. Um, yeah, but I mean, by like 94, isn't that getting kind of like played out and stale? <laughs> well, I mean... Then? Uh, to your point, like definitely the dad humor version of all of this. Of course, right? Yeah, there's no, there's not a whiff of authenticity about this game's humor or its identity. Um, but so that I feel like is also present in uh, Zoda's Revenge, um, in either the the same capacity or an even greater capacity than in the original. I feel like kind of maybe in a greater capacity because the story is. I don't know, like, more presentational this time? Uh, Yeah. Like, you get, like, those big Mm -hmm. pictures of Mike, and he's, like, breaking the fourth wall at the beginning, talking to you. 
Oh, that that is true. And Mike like, does break the fourth wall. And the like the MacGuffins that you're chasing after are literally they don't call them this, but they are the Tetraminos from Tetris, like the Tetris blocks. They call them blocks, but they're all in the shapes of the Tetris blocks. So like, yeah, it it is a little bit more like winking and knowing and like basing its story on on its humor for sure. Um. So what what was your experience of uh this game or Star Tropics uh but before we before we started playing today? Yeah, I had played some Star Tropics most recently with the NES Classic Edition. Mm-hmm. It was released there. I had never played Zoda's Revenge. Never never even touched it. No. Um Zoda's Revenge was a game that I like kind of uh fetishized as a kid. Um because I really liked the original Star Tropics. I had played through it a bunch of times, had beaten it. Um and then I think I got I either got or rented uh, Zoda's Revenge um, even later than when it came out. So, you know, I was probably playing it in like 95, 96, something like that. Um, and got to a point uh, not that far in the game where I was like, that's it. I, I can't like grind my way through this anymore. I don't have the patience that I did when I was a, uh, a younger child um, and uh, kind of uh, abandoned it. So, like, it is, it's a little bit of a white whale for me um, that, like, I know. Uh, Mark and I did not finish the game today um, when we sat down to play it. We put about five hours in, which I feel like is giving it a good old college and, and try. We, we are like two dungeons away from yes, finishing it. Right. But those are two dungeons we did not want to put the effort in. No, we like... were pulling our hair out a little bit by the end because we were playing it on the Wii Virtual Console and there are no safe states in the Wii Virtual Console. Which, I mean, let's just, let's just pause on that for a moment. The Wii had great virtual console we were all very excited about it it played nes games you know with a fidelity that blah 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 blah. (laughs) there are no save states there are no save states which really would have made um this experience a lot more enjoyable for reasons that we will get into but first i think we should talk about uh like the plot of Zoda's Revenge. Sure. So the plot of Zoda's Revenge starts off with uh, Mike, everyone's favorite uh, Southpaw uh, reliever. Reliever? Uh-huh. Yes. Southpaw reliever. Uh, how he identifies himself. He's uh, addressing you, the player, uh, and he's kind of like, hey, do you remember my uncle, Dr. Jones? And he looks like Archie. He does look like Archie. He has red hair, freckles. Yeah, hair's like kind of sticking up in the front. Um. And so you can either say yes or no, and he will either way, he basically tells you who his uncle is again. And then suddenly we get a uh, a telepathic message from Micah, who is one of the, um, you know, one of the ali- one of the good guy aliens from the original Star Tropics. And what does she say, Mark? I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Uh, piecing this together like i am a cat i am a rat or something oh, no, like that like, I, I what was it a was it a cat i saw was it a rat i saw yes that's what it was um that that's like a message from her father who's the king of the good aliens um and so you take you take this vision back to uh your uncle dr jones who is studying something um and he's like was it a cat i saw was it a rat i saw and then he just says it backwards which is the same thing they're palindromes was it a cat i saw was it a rat i saw um so they determined that that means that they should read some book they have some like magic spell that the alien the good alien king had told them about so he's like go get your oxford 
um, encyclopedia, basically. Right. I can't remember, like, world book or something. I can't remember what they call it. And then they say the magic words backwards. Right. They're, they're Zatanna at this point, right? <laughs> Just saying things backwards and makes it magic. And then uh, it, like, Mike falls through some portal of space and time mm-hmm. and ends up in some prehistoric ice age era uh there are cavemen uh carving things onto walls and there uh you you travel to their settlement and they tell you that their children have been kidnapped by a monster called yum yum and that's basically the premise of this game is that each time you go to one of these lands there's uh like this prehistoric one egypt the old west uh sherlock Sherlock Holmes. holmes You know, places in history. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Transylvania. <laughs> um, and then at the there's like a dungeon in each of them. At the end, you get another Tetris piece and uh, uh, just move on to the next one. Yeah. I mean, the, the second you find the, the block, the, the Tetris piece, um, it you know, triggers a, a cut scene of, of Mike reading this thing and tumbling through uh, space and time to another location. And I did like that this part of it. Uh, I think it's an improvement on Star Tropics because Star Tropics, for the most part, is set on a tropical island and it just feels a little samey after a while. Totally. Yeah. And while this one has uh, enemies shared between the different lands and it also has uh, like textures and stuff like other yeah. graphical parts that it shares between them it does feel distinct a- absolutely and and honestly i was uh, a little bit surprised at the enemy variety um there are a lot of different kind of enemies in this game um and each one is more frustrating to fight than the last <laughs> so here's the thing is star tropics 2 is um really unforgiving i would say yeah it is unforgiving in its combat and in its platforming and the and just like just generally speaking unforgiving um there are few checkpoints in any of these dungeons um and you have three lives and when you lose those three lives you got to do the whole dungeon all over again and one-ups are scarce yep uh the only way that you can regain health is finding potions in dungeons Mm -hmm. or enemies will occasionally very very occasionally so occasionally so occasionally that in the like six hours we were playing this i forgot they did it i think a couple times you <laughs> forgot the, uh when you kill an enemy they will maybe drop a star right and when if when you pick up five stars in a dungeon because anytime you leave a dungeon it all resets anytime you get five stars you get one heart back now just for like reference here you start the game with six hearts so, and then every time, every time you get a Tetris block, it increases that by one. And there are other like times that you can find big heart container pieces or big heart containers uh, to in- increase your thing. So by the time we stopped playing, I think we had fourteen hearts. Um, and so if we are, and when when you die and come back, it doesn't start you with full full life. It starts you with you know just like a fraction of it, maybe half, maybe less. Um, but if we wanted to fill up our hearts, we have to collect like. 50 stars <laughs> like and they very they're very rarely dropped by enemies and when you do pick up health potions they don't fill you uh up either no it, it's like five or six hearts that it gives you um and there's no i'm like i guess when you beat a level it restores your hearts to full um but is that it is yeah that that's pretty much it when you pick up a new heart container as well 
The other thing that makes it really difficult is most games, when you get hit by an enemy, you have a moment of invincibility. Yes. Uh, no, there is not that. Star Tropics. Star Tropics no, it, it affords you no such uh, moment of invincibility to, like, recover or even get away so if an enemy like shares your space yes. like runs into you and stays there for a second then you just get wiped out completely and a lot of these enemies uh you know they've got movement patterns that are totally random so like if you find yourself occupying a square with an enemy that has just hurt you obviously your goal is going to be to move away to another square there's a one in four chance you're moving to the same square as that enemy <laughs> so like you are there there were many times where we were fighting kind of normal not tough enemies where they just got five hits on us in over the course of a second yeah it's a little bit like dark souls in that way where in dark souls even the very easy enemies can be devastating if you're not careful yes and that's exactly how it is here. Except the thing is, I, I feel like it's not even about being careful. It's just like, well, sometimes you get screwed by these things. That's true. In Dark Souls, you know, one of those beginning enemies, you maybe mess up a counter or something like that. Yeah. And so you become vulnerable. In this one, they can literally just randomly move into the space you're standing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yes. And so it, the, the the whole thing is very tricky. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a source of a, a lot of frustration for us. Yeah, I feel like between the checkpoints and the or the lack of checkpoints, the lack of healing items and the lack of uh, like invincibility. Yeah. Then it just became really really frustrating. Yeah. In a way that kind of I don't know, like I enjoyed the game. I yeah, I did too. I but it's it is with a huge caveat of like I I think I enjoy it more uh, abstractly than I actually do playing it. Like, okay, so I we we mentioned that there's like some platforming in, in the game too, and that that is also unforgiving, right? Um, when you fall into a pit, uh, you die, you lose life, and you go back to wherever you were last. When you fall into water, yes, you die completely. Yes, when you fall onto spikes, you die completely. Um, this is just like what we were talking about last week with Zelda Two. Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago was Zelda 2. Um, that, you know, you should fall into a pit, lose one heart, and, like, go back to the beginning of the room. That's what it should be. Um, you know, uh, the Link to the Past figured it out. Um, but these two get, for whatever reason, the NES was like, no, you fall in a pit, you die. Those are the rules. We don't want to mess up the rules. So this game, uh, the, the platforming, difficult. Uh, and when you mess it up, you die. Um, the thing that makes this platforming so much more difficult than the platforming in the first Star Tropics is that the first one uh, snapped you to a grid, right? So, you know, you're on a, 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 a just a, a very obvious grid, and when you're going to move, you move one space forward. You know exactly how far Mike jumps, and you know exactly in what direction Mike is going to jump. This game is like, you know what? We don't want the grid anymore. Mike can move diagonally. He can be halfway between one square and the other. Um, but all the platforming is still presented on a very strict grid. So uh, it's like the game keeps all of the rigidity of its design, but the character doesn't, which makes you just too mobile. Like, yeah, like even the enemies are pretty much on a grid. Yes. They don't really move diagonally. But the fact that 
it also almost makes it harder that you can. Yes. Because it's difficult to line up your shots. It's it's really you tough might to line up your shots. A little bit off the axis of where like the enemies hit boxes. Yeah. Um and then there are these rafts. <laughs> Mark what the bane. Why don't you tell us about rafts? Of our playthrough. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> so they're moving slowly through the water, normally back and forth, and you have to jump onto them as they're moving, and then jump off of them onto whatever like platform you're trying to get to. Yes. And so many times, I misjudged how close I was to the edge. And just walked right off the raft. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. There... Any other water's edge in this game, it won't allow you to walk off of. You can uh, walk right up to it, and then if you force Mike to jump into it, then he will and he'll die. But this, if you like, get too close to the edge of a raft, he's just going to fall off. And then his little ghost spirit is going to like fly away, and you lose a life. That sort of frustration, I feel like, was... the There were two places where it really hit us hard. Yeah. One in the uh, Leonardo da Vinci dungeon. Okay, well, let's let's talk about the setup to this one though. Okay, uh, so you travel to Venice, uh-huh. uh, and you stumble into da Vinci's studio. Yes, laboratory. I think, I think studio. Okay, um, and uh, da Vinci's not there, but there is a statue, uh, or it's just like a blob of uh, of concrete or something, um, and it, you hear a voice from inside it being like, "I can't move." Uh, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I better, I better help chisel this guy out. So you go into a a dungeon, and the dungeon is all traps, no, no enemies that you had to fight in there. But these traps, Mark, Mark these traps. It's basically the jumping platforming that we hate uh-huh. on moving air rafts, which we hate, right? Followed by this puzzle where there are balls moving. Um, all around the room, and when you hit them, they're either going left and right or up and down, and when you hit them, they change direction, and you're trying to get all of them into a hole. Right, but if the ball hits you when you make it change direction, you take damage. It's so, this was the one where we, I, I mean, usually it's uh, like I had the controller, and I would, you know, get through in like one set of lives, or you would have the controller, and you would get through in one set of lives. When we got to this, uh, you did a couple sets of lives. I did a couple sets of lives, and eventually we got through it. Yeah. Um. But like, I don't. Did you feel good when we were done with it? Were you like, I mean, they, they, I felt relief. I felt relief too. But uh, you know, I I wasn't like, yeah, I got, I'm so like, yeah, I didn't feel a com- I didn't feel accomplished. No, for sure, definitely did not feel accomplished. But so that one, that was annoying because I misjudged some of those jumps a ton of times. It's it's hard. They're they're really difficult to judge. And then the other time when I found these like raft falling into water uh, mechanics to be really annoying was whatever dungeon it was with Zoda X comes down and makes this big brain thing in the center. Oh yes. And you have to you have these appearing and disappearing platforms that are going counterclockwise and you have to like move through the platforms and shoot this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is a, a, a boss that's just like, 
it looks like a, a brain on a platform in like the middle of a lake. And it's, yeah, like Mark described, uh, platforms that appear and then disappear that just sort of like go around him. Um, and the, you know, we, we got to a point where it's just like, okay, uh, there's one platform where I know I'll have a couple seconds to like hit him with some of these knives or whatever we have to throw. Uh, and then I'm just going to finish the circle of platforms and then start it again. Um, which means it's not so much difficult as it is just like annoying. They had to like keep doing the same thing again. And when you beat that boss, uh, then he reveals like a, a tile that was under him that you need to go and stomp on. So you've got to like go and do like one more circuit of the thing to like get all the way around and like open the door and get out. Yeah, there's a lot of just like silly decisions in the design of this game. Like in order to open any chest, you have to find a tile in the room that when you step on it, it lights up. But stepping on it isn't enough. Once you find the one that uh, is the correct tile, you have to return to it and jump on it. Right. And that will cause a- an orb to appear in the room. You have to go and touch that orb, and then the chest will open. So it's a lot of just like busy work yeah. that I don't really know adds anything to it. Uh, and that's kind of how I feel about the bosses in this game. Yeah. I think aesthetically they're cool. They're all pretty varied. Mm-hmm. But the mechanics are pretty much the same. They're usually on like the other side of a chasm. They are always on the other side of a chasm. There's a couple that aren't like the big scorpion thingy oh, yeah, sure. and like mm-hmm. stuff like that. But that's uh how a lot of them are is like a boss is on the other side of a chasm. They're shooting two types of projectiles at you. Usually it's like um one yeah, that, like, flares out. Yeah, just sort of, like, fans out. Uh-huh. And then the other one is a more powerful, like, direct strike that if you're in its way, it's pretty close to a one or two hit kill. Right. Or some kind of area effect. Like, there was one that uh, just made, like, a ring of fire appear around you and you had to just not bump into it. And then you're just, like, shooting projectiles across the chasm. Um, I mean, and that's pretty much the game. Yeah. I mean, the... That it, it it is weird. It, it feels like uh you, you know you were saying that the bosses all look different but kind of feel the same. Um, I think the same can be said of the weapons. Um, you know you get psychic powers in this game. Psychic powers, uh, which first really, from a monkey, right? First from a monkey, then from a donkey. The donkey, of course, has the most powerful psychic powers. I mean, we don't know. We didn't finish the game. There may be a more powerful psychic than the donkey. We don't, Mark. We just don't know. <laughs> we just don't know. Um. And, uh, but the psychic powers really just take the form of like Mike throwing a little like piece of magic or like a little star or something, which is exactly how he uses, um, the axe that you get in the prehistoric world or the knife that you get from Cleopatra or the katana that you get from Leonardo. Um, like all of these weapons, you get all of these weapons and you get all of these powers and all, every single one of them is just a different projectile that doesn't travel in a different way that doesn't like there isn't one that's like faster than the others like there's a difference in range and in like damage dealt later in the game you get additional like sub weapons like i don't know like the uh killer but, frisbee thing yeah but and that kill- kind of like fans out no the killer frisbee was just a normal uh was just a normal like straightforward shot the one that like fanned out a little bit was the like spiky ball oh, in, uh-huh. in Transylvania. But Transylvania is chapter seven of nine. So like, you know, you have to get pretty deep in this game until you have an item or a weapon that behaves even remotely different from the rest of them, which is just kind of disappointing. Like you think about how uh, in Zelda, 
you know, the sword feels different from arrows, feels different from a boomerang, feels different from, you know, like the magic, um, like staffs that you have in uh, Link to the Past. Um, none of these feel different. They all, uh, they, all the attacks are exactly the same. And you never really given anything that changes Mike's mobility. He's never going to like jump further or run faster or climb anything or whatever. You know, his, um, he's, he, he feels very static. I think for me, so Zoda's Revenge is a lot like Zelda 2, where I think Zelda 2 had a ton of interesting ideas. And I think Zoda's Revenge really is a positive iteration in a lot of ways on the original Star Tropics, but it needs more refinement for it to be like actually a fun experience. Yeah. And I mean, you know, part of that is that we're looking at it through a 2019 lens, you know, like a lot of games from 1994 aren't going to look uh, super great when, you know, viewed through like our modern conveniences of, of, of video games. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree that uh, there are a lot of good ideas in here and a lot of um, a lot of like cute or fun execution, but it just like it comes together as a frustrating package. Yeah, I wish that we were getting like a uh, Samus Returns esque remake yeah. of Zoda's Revenge. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I, I do think look, we have asked this question of all the the other weird retro sequels that we've talked about. Uh, the question is normally, is there something from this game that you would like to see in modern blank games? Um, Zelda, Mario, Star Tropics is this I, was the end of the line for Star Tropics. This was the the end of the the second stop and the end of the line for Star Tropics. Um, and <clears throat> you know it doesn't seem likely that we'll ever see another Star Tropics game, right? Like, no, I feel. Do you remember? I feel like before the Wii U was announced, one of the f- favorite rumors that were going around at the time was that Retro was working, working on, on Star a Star Tropics, Tropics reboot. I mean, did I start that rumor? Because it sounds like something I want more than anything. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the fact that Star Tropics was neither game was ever released in Japan, um, and that neither game is very well remembered. Zoda's Revenge could not have sold very well releasing in 1994. Yeah, I mean the the first one is on the NES Classic Edition, which is in a, a lot of homes right now. And I'm sure is a lot of people's first sort of exposure to it. But not on the Famicom Mini. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's also not on the NES Switch Online service. Um, and Zoda's Revenge will probably never be up there. <clears throat> As discussed, Zoda's Revenge isn't even on the like current generation virtual consoles uh, of Wii U or 3DS. So like... I don't know. It, it's even a little bit weird to me that it was available on the Wii's Virtual Console. Well, I'm actually a little bit... Uh, for it not being on Nint- Nintendo Switch Online, like, I'd rather have this game on there than some of the other ones Sure, that have come up already. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad game. Uh, I just think it's not very polished. It is also a game that, as discussed many times now, would be better with save states. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That alone is a reason to put it on the NES Switch Online. (laughs) So you hear that? Nintendo, do it. Is there anything else that we want to talk about in terms of, like, the worlds that it takes you to or any of, like, the... Because, like, I think time travel is a fun, um, you know, mechanic if 
you know, even if it allows nothing more than just like, here's a, a dinosaur setting, here's a uh, <laughs> Transylvania setting. Um, I just, I just think it's so neat and not really like anything um, that we saw at that time. Like I, I was even getting kind of um, flashes of Chrono Trigger um during like the the scenes where mike is falling through the wormhole into a new a new time yeah absolutely uh i mean one of the things that would have been cool is if there had been more of that open world aspect to it yeah um everything is pretty linear yeah when when you get into a new time like you're basically in one you know in uh in in the sherlock times (laughs) uh you're just like on a single london city street and like there are people there for you to talk to, but it becomes obvious pretty quick that like no one's saying anything interesting or of any, like there's nothing to find. Exploration is not rewarded in this game. Yeah. You can't go into, you can't open doors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A door has to be open for Mike to go into it. Um, and it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is lacking in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I do think that for, uh, either of these games to be like, uh presentable for the modern era they would need like a full-on samus return style remake to really you know like keep the story ish intact um but kind of overhaul everything else yeah i i i guess like i just wish that star tropics hadn't come to an end because i think a super nintendo version of this could have been really cool yeah you think like so somewhere somewhere around 1997 they would have figured it out uh maybe or they at least would have gotten closer i feel like it's like trying to get to infinity yeah because sure. these star tropics games they were always kind of made by uh not the b tier but just a weird c tier <laughs> just a c just a weird group of nintendo developers you know like it was like the punch out people yeah they were mostly focused on hardware and occasionally made games. And so I don't know that they ever would have like had the polish of a link to the past or something like that. Yeah. But I think they definitely would have kept iterating in the right direction. Cause we, right. we definitely see that from star tropics to star tropics too. And it definitely seems like that's what kills it, you know, like two games on the NES and then nothing, nothing in the super Nintendo era. And it's like, yeah, okay, we're done with that. That's it. Like that's that's why that's why we don't see any ice climbers. You know, like that it, it doesn't exist as a game franchise now. That's why Duck Hunt, same thing. Um, yeah, it's just it's sad to me. But yeah, I'm put one of these fighters in Smash. Put one of these. Look, do we want to see Mike? Maybe. Do we want to see Zoda? Absolutely. Do we want to see Sherlock Holmes? Yes. <laughs> Zoda's the new Ridley. Zoda is the new Ridley. You heard it here first. Okay, Mark, let's close out this discussion. I would love to know if anyone else was able to play this game. <laughs> or had ever played it. Yeah, and would if if so, if you have any experience, you can write into us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com and tell us um tell us what you think. Do, do you like this game? Are are Mark and I big big baby boys who weren't able to you know, just like pull ourselves together and beat this game. Well, I mean, Patrick, I think we both would admit that we're big baby boys. I don't, I don't know that I want to go down this road with you, Mark. And next week we're going to be checking out Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest. That's right. I hope we will finish that one. That's another notoriously um, 
like difficult and obtuse game, but we're going to use save states and a walkthrough. Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, baby. Um, if you enjoy this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can share the episode on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share things. That helps us out a bunch. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8-Bit Betty. You can get more of his music by going to 8BitBetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers admitting that he's a big baby boy and saying thanks for listening.